Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, brothers and sisters, and good morning to those of you joining us via live stream. My name is Tim Earle, and like you, I am a bondservant of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I also have the distinct privilege this morning to present to you a very important spiritual discipline that coincides with our topic, as Pastor Stodd said, for the summer, Thrive. And you have, hopefully, the little booklets here, and it says, Practices That Promote Spiritual Growth. But before we delve into our topic, let's go before the throne of grace, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these golden opportunities like this morning, this one moment that will never be repeated again in all of eternity when we can come together in this exact amount of people, these people who have given this morning to share with one another, to learn the word, to grow, to take power from it, and to go forth from here to be your witnesses, not only in San Diego, but some to the uttermost parts of the earth. Please open our hearts and minds now to learn what you have for us this morning so that we may give honor and glory to you. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen. All right, my friends, this morning our topic is at the very core of every single Christian's existence. From it, we can learn inner peace because we will be at one with our Creator. From it, we can receive power to stand against the kingdom of darkness. And from it, we can be enabled to persevere through various trials and tribulations and persecutions that will inevitably arise against us in our Christian walk. Statistically speaking, there are over 600 references, 600 references in the Bible to our spiritual discipline and over 400 responses to it. The gospel writers tell us that Jesus exercised this spiritual discipline 25 times, but in his real life, probably at least hundreds of times, maybe even thousands of times. And the apostle Paul tells us in his 13 epistles that he has done this at least 41 times in his epistles. And again, in his life, thousands of times. Now, historically speaking, depending on how you define our discipline here, and we're going to do that in just a moment, our spiritual discipline can be found all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And on the day of Pentecost, you remember that important day at the founding of the Christian church when Simon Peter gave that fabulous sermon and over 3,000 people converted to Jesus Christ? In Acts 2.42, it tells us that there were four things that the new converts devoted themselves to when they became a part of the Christian church. Do you remember what those four things were? Let's put up a slide here. Acts 2.42, slide one. And the last of these is our spiritual discipline for this morning. They, the new converts, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Yes, my friends, the spiritual discipline this morning that we will be discussing is prayer, the path to peace. So I have entitled our sermon this morning, slide two, prayer, the path to peace, to power, and to perseverance. But for us to speak clearly about this, we need to be on the same page, right? We need to have some sort of a working definition, if you will, of what prayer is. Because let's face it, there are many different types of definitions or many ways that you can do prayer. Now, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines prayer as, quote, an address or a petition to God, they're using a capital G there, or a God, with a small g, in word or in thought. Okay, I can go with that. Dictionary.com is really short. It says that prayer is, quote, a spiritual communion with God, end quote. And let's not forget Wikipedia. Remember back in the day whenever you wanted to find out anything, you go online, you go to Wikipedia? Well, they say that prayer is, quote, an invocation or act that seeks to activate a rapport with an object of worship through deliberate communication, end quote. I'd probably have to read that three more times to even understand what they're saying. That's kind of scientific. But all of these definitions are secular. Now, that doesn't mean that they're wrong, but for our last one, let's look at a theological dictionary. Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible states that prayer is, quote, a primary means of communication that binds together God and humankind in intimate and reciprocal relationship, end quote. Now, I like this definition because it's simple and to the point in one way, but it also encompasses a whole lot of possibilities. And so I'd like to use this as our definition this morning, but let's tweak it just, just a little bit. So when I say prayer this morning, I am speaking about an open line of direct communication with God. And when I say God, my friends, I'm speaking about God with a capital G, okay? I'm speaking about our Creator, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Wow, that's a lot of amens. That's more than I expected. Good for you. Good for you. Thank you. Yes, this is the God of the Bible. But all of this begs a question, doesn't it? And the question is this. What type of communication are we talking about? I mean, does prayer have a certain form that we have to give it? Do we need to use specific words or phrases to catch God's attention or to get him to listen to us? Or even better, is there some sort of an example in the Bible that we can look at and use as an example? Yes, there is. And I can't, I shouldn't say I can't believe it, I do believe it. We just sang it just a few moments ago. And I didn't set this up with the worship team. I didn't know what songs they were going to sing here, but it fits in so They didn't know I was going to be preaching on prayer this morning, and yet everything they sang had to do with prayer. It's amazing how the Lord works and brings things together. But I would venture to say that almost every single one of you in this room either know or have heard of the Lord's Prayer. You can find it in Matthew 6 and also a shorter version in Luke 11. Let's put up slide 3 here and let's leave this slide up because this prayer can serve as a blueprint, if you will, on how to pray. 
And it's the one that starts off in the well-known King James Version with the words, Our Father, which art in heaven, thus identifying from the get-go the person to whom we are communicating. Hallowed be thy name. That's sort of old school language, if you will, to proclaim him as the most holy one, the one to be greatly revered and feared. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven, states the hope of God's kingdom coming into this world to establish truth and justice. Give us this day our daily bread, stresses the dependence and the reliance that each and every one of us have for Him to meet our daily needs. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those and our debtors. Teaches us to be forgiving towards others as we would have our Heavenly Father be towards us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever reveals that our protection and power and perseverance come directly from the Father because He alone wields ultimate authority throughout all time and space. But is this the only way to pray? I mean, should we just recite this prayer over and over again from rote memory, like some sort of a rosary or something like that, and expect that to fulfill us and to make us strong and honor and glorify our Father? No, of course not. So, what kinds of prayers can we offer up to our God? Now, let's, let's be honest here. I mean, we're in church, right? So, we probably should be honest. Haven't there been times where you go to the Lord and you're kind of stumped as what you should say to Him? Well, remember, very simply speaking, we are talking about prayer as an open line of direct communication with our Heavenly Father. So, how about we do a little experiment here? I'm going to use you as guinea pigs here. Let's use the book of Psalms in the Old Testament and look very briefly at four examples of prayers, the most common ones that are found in the book of Psalms. In essence, the book of Psalms is a prayer book of songs, right? So I think this will be very enlightening for you, especially the first one, the one that you find the most there. You may not expect this. Of all the types of prayers found in the book of Psalms, the one that is most common is called a psalm or prayer of lament or petition. Again, that may surprise you. That's, an, again, an old school word. We don't use that word lament that much. It means a very deep-seated, passionate expression of grief and sorrow. Now, let's just step back for a second here because you might be thinking to yourself, Hold on a second, Tim. Are you telling me that we can go to God in prayer, our Heavenly Father, and express our concerns to Him, our fears, our doubts, I mean, doubts to God, our pain, our anxiety about life to Him? Yes, you can. My friends, our God, the God of the Bible, the God with the capital G, is our Heavenly Father. And He loved each and every one of us so much that He sent His Son into the world to die on that cross for you and for me and to raise Him from the dead so that if we place our faith, commit our lives to Him, not only can we live victorious lives in this world, but we will also share eternal life with Him in the world to come. 
That's the most famous verse arguably in the entire Bible says that, John 3.16, right? Of course we can communicate with God with prayers of lament because he genuinely cares about us and about our feelings. He's the one who brought each and every one of us into existence in the first place. Why? So that he could have a personal, intimate relationship with you and with me. The psalmists realized this when they offered up prayers of lament during times when they felt that God was so far away or that he was actively hiding himself from them. Let me share with you just very briefly one example of a prayer of lament from Psalm 6. We won't read the entire psalm. We'll just look at a couple of verses here. So in slide 4, Psalm 6, verse 3, the psalmist declares these words. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Haven't we all experienced situations like this where we are hurting so bad that we don't think we can bear our own pain even a moment longer and we wonder why God is taking so long to hear us and to answer our prayers? Well, Psalm 6 cries out to God for mercy, for healing, and for rescue in just such a time. In verse 2, the psalmist says, slide 5, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. And then in verse 6, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Have you ever experienced a night like that? I have, and sadly to say, on more than one occasion. Clearly, the psalmist is weary because of how long it's taking God to deliver him from his current circumstance. He's desperate. He's begging God for aid right now. Yes, it is okay to address your heavenly Father in this way and to open up your heart to him so that he can get inside and help you through what you're experiencing. Our psalm ends in verses 8 and 9 on a confident note with a psalmist now convinced after bearing his heart to his heavenly Father that God has heard his cry and accepted his prayer. He says, slide 6, The Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. Now listen very carefully here. This does not mean that if you offer a prayer, just like we said here, that God is necessarily going to instantly fix everything in the way that you might want Him to fix it. But it does mean that we can take solace in the fact that He hears and that He will act for His own honor and glory and in our best interests. Romans 8, 28, it's a really great verse to sort of support this. Slide 7, it says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Some other psalms for further study for you of lament are Psalms 10, Psalms 38, and Psalm 130. Okay, that was a psalm of lament. Uh, again, probably surprises you. It's one of the most common ones. But 
almost as frequently, at least in the Psalms, we find what are called prayers of thanksgiving. Such prayers as these erupt from the human spirit when God has answered a prayer or come to an aid of a person or delivered that person from some trial. I guess in a way, prayers of thanksgiving are prayers that praise God for specific deeds that He does in our life. Let's take Psalm 40 as an example, and we're just going to look at the first four verses here. Slide eight, and we can leave this slide up. Verse one says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, and he heard my cry. Now, notice something very important, though, that's easy to forget. Waiting patiently. Do you like waiting patiently? I'll be honest with you, I don't. That's the hard part about all of this, my friends, because the Lord's timing isn't always the same as our timing. But one thing that we can rely on is that His timing is best in the long run. Verse 2 states poetically the place from which the psalmist was rescued. He says, God lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. Oh, my friends, wouldn't you be overjoyed to be provided with a firm foundation during the many miry paths that you are called upon to walk in this mortal existence? In verse 3, the psalmist is so overjoyed that he bursts forth with a song. He says, God put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise in my heart to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. And herein lies another gem of truth, which is very easy to, be, to overlook. How we, that's you and I, react to situations in which we find ourselves, especially those that are trying or persecuting it, presents golden opportunities for us to honor and to glorify our Heavenly Father. Because let's face it, people will be looking at us, we Christians, who are professing Christians and watching us when we go through various trials. And what a marvelous opportunity to be witnesses to other people by persevering through those trials and coming out on the other side with exclamations of praise and thanksgiving to our Heavenly Father. It can provide these people with hope while they are going through trying times. Verse 4 says as much, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. The key to all of this, though, is the trust part. It's hard. Who do you trust? God or the world? Only one of these two will bring you through to the other side so that you can offer up a prayer of thanksgiving. If you're interested in pursuing these types of prayers, you can find a great one in Psalm 9. All right, in a similar vein to the prayer of thanksgiving, we have what are called prayers of adoration. 
Now, these prayers express exactly what you would think they do. Adoration towards God, our Heavenly Father. The directive exclusively to God for who He is and what He is in and of Himself. They proclaim His majesty, His greatness, His beauty, His wisdom, and His beauty and wisdom of the created order that He has made. They're usually chock full of praise exclusively for God, not so much for what He has done, but again, for who he is in and of himself. Something important here, my friends, a true believer who, after truly recognizing the holiness and the goodness of God, can't but praise him. Contemplating God's wonderful nature and abundant grace through prayer is one of the best ways of diverting your mind's away from the winds and the waves like tsunamis that come to hit you in life and directing your thoughts to the one true fulfillment of your heart's desire and intimate relation with your Creator. That's one way of doing it. This time, let's just look at a couple of verses from a couple of different psalms to see this. Psalm 8, verse 1, slide 9, declares this. Lord... Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. My friends, if you ever want to experience something like this, just go out in your backyard, well, maybe you'd have to get out of the city, and get into a place where you have a dark night sky, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. A couple years back, my wife and I went on a, a vacation down the Anza Borrego Desert, and I remember walking out there at nighttime, and it's a dark sky area, meaning you don't have cities around with light pollution, so you can't even see the moon. But I went out there, and I kid you not, I'm walking out in the darkness, I took my glasses off, and I can't see anything without them, but I tell you, I could see that white swath cut across the sky, the Milky Way. And I said, wow, I can't see that at all in the city. How magnificent it is. And there's something, what's the, what's the right word? Sublime about that. When you see that expanse above you, know the creator put that in place. And then at the same time, you realize that he created you and I specifically to have a relationship with us. It just, it's unfathomable. Psalm 113, verses 1 through 3, slide 10, says this. And you can say this with me if you want. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you, his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. It doesn't matter where you are or when you are. There is always time to praise and to adore our Heavenly Father. And as I mentioned before, the more we direct our attention and concentrate on praising our God through prayer, the greater peace and power and perseverance you will have in life. Some other prayers of adoration are Psalm 29, 23, 33 and 65. Okay, on the opposite side of this coin, if I can use that analogy for prayers of thanksgiving and adoration, we find prayers of repentance. Very important here. Repentance, according to the Erdman's Bible Dictionary, is, quote, 
a complete change of orientation involving a judgment upon your past and a redirection for the future. And I like that. Psalm 32 offers a very good example of a prayer of repentance. Let's just look at the first five verses here, slide 11. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist proclaims as blessed those people whose sin God has forgiven. And indeed, God's forgiveness is a blessing in and of itself. Let's read it, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Something important here. Lack, lack of a believer confessing his or her sins to God can actually bring with it a negative physical manifestation. Verses 3 and 4, slide 12. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So what's the answer to this dilemma, which all of us find ourselves in from time to time? Acknowledge your sin. Confess it to the Lord and ask for repentance. He says as much in verse 5, slide 13. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The relief and the lifting of the burden of guilt that can be experienced through prayers of repentance can be very profound. So much so that in verse 11, slide 14, the last verse of this psalm, he utters these wonderful words. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Psalms 38 and Psalm 51 are also magnificent psalms of repentance and prayers of repentance if you want to go there. Now, all of these have been prayers from the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Does it say anything about prayer? Well, you better believe it, it does. And if you'll permit me, as we start heading towards our conclusion here, let me share with you what the greatest prayer warrior in the New Testament, aside from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, had to say about prayer. And there's a lot that he said. You know who I'm talking about, right? The Apostle Paul. Pretty much every book of the Bible that he wrote, there's 13 of them, has multitudes of prayers in them. One of the most common types of prayers that Paul prayed in his epistles are called prayers of blessings. Maybe you haven't heard of that term before. Some of these, and he, he did this in a number of ways, some of them can be found as prayers for grace and peace to the people. Go to any one of his letters. Read the opening couple of verses or the closing couple of verses. Grace to you, peace. That peace means shalom, like in Hebrew. It means the inner peace that you can only find with a connection with your heavenly Father and your Creator. Other ways he does this are prayers of growth for other people in their spiritual virtues. How many times have you prayed for somebody to abandon love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Those are the fruits of the Spirit. 
He also prayed blessings to people to perform their tasks in the kingdom of God. We're soldiers in the kingdom of God. We have tasks to perform every day, every moment of our lives. And blessings in the form of praying for Christ's return. How many times do we pray for in the presence of another person for Christ to come back? Maranatha, that's the prayer. Paul also offered up what are called prayers of intercession. In this type of a prayer, Paul acts on and, and prays on behalf of another person for them to God. He acts like an intercessor, a go-between. I, I guess today you'd say like a mediator, something like that. And also, as in the Psalms, Paul lifts up his voice in prayers of praise and thanksgiving to God. He does this by thanking God for various blessings, like salvation. How often have you thanked God for your salvation? For thanking God for faith. Remember, faith is a gift that's given. And for love, that we can show the type of love to others that God shows to us. He also does it by glorifying God in the presence of others and by worshiping God in the presence of others. And finally, by praising God for all believers. How often have you praised God for the people sitting next to you? It's a great thing to do. It will uplift your heart. Okay. There's one left here, one that we haven't spoken about yet. Very important prayer. All of us probably, especially if we've lived a long life, have probably prayed this scores of times, a hundred times, who knows. It is called the prayer of healing or the prayer of faith. It can come in the form of a prayer for oneself. We find this in Jeremiah 17, 14, slide 15, where he says, Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. It can also be found as a prayer of healing for the nation. Slide 16. This comes from 2 Chronicles 7.14 and it says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And then most certainly, it can be a prayer of healing for another person, as we most famously find in James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, slide 17. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. Brothers and sisters, we could go on and on like this, but our time is up. We could talk about prayers of deliverance, prayers of transformation. There's just so much information in the Word of God about prayer that it staggers the mind. Prayer is an ultimately vital part of each Christian's life. If we do look at prayer simply as an open line of direct communication with God, then we can pray to Him at any moment in time, in any place where we find ourselves. And perhaps this is what the Apostle Paul meant in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where he said, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that you need to be on your knees 24-7. That would be impossible. It means that we should always maintain an attitude of prayer, that open line of direct communication with God. We can do this while we're driving to work, while we're eating lunch, while we're riding a bike, while we're sitting at our children's baseball games, while we're 
body surfing at the beach. I want to go out and do that. I haven't done it yet this summer. It's hot. We can do this praying while we're standing, while we're sitting, while we're kneeling, while we're running, while we're rolling down the hill at the park with our grandchildren. It doesn't matter as long as you are addressing your heavenly father. And can I have the worship team come back up? And the important thing to remember in addressing your heavenly father, very, very important this, that you are addressing him for his honor and his glory and not for our own selfish gains. And I'm preaching more to myself than I am to you here. It's so easy to think that we need to pray to the Lord for everyone else, but yet there's so much going on in our own lives. It's much easier said than done. I understand that. But brothers and sisters, if we are ever going to have a hope of being the Christian men and women that God has called us to be, then we need to hone our prayer skills and our prayer lives because it is our lifeline to God. We need to be, and again, I'm speaking more to myself than probably to anybody in this room, we need to be disciplined in the spiritual discipline of prayer because prayer truly is the path to inner peace to power and to perseverance in this life shall we open our direct line of communication with God right now oh heavenly father thank you thank you for the work that you allowed your son to do on that cross because that's what opened up that veil in the temple that says that was a separation a cause separation between you and us because of our sin, but because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ, symbolically speaking, that veil is torn, and now we do have direct access to you. Thank you for giving us power. Thank you for giving us peace. Thank you for aiding us in perseverance because we have a great enemy against us out there, but we stand with the one who is the light and the truth. Thank you for your blessings. May we go forth with robust prayer lives to refuel ourselves every moment that we have an opportunity in you. For you are our light and our life. May we be the strength in this and the light in this dying world to bring truth and eternal life. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father. Praise your name forever. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.